I'm turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Um, that's where we're going to spend our time uh, this morning. Um, and let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the time that we have um, this morning. Uh, we don't want to waste it. Uh, we want to spend it uh, faithfully uh, together in your word. Um, and so uh, I'm going to say some things up here, Lord. And if you want to keep it the same, keep it the same. Um, if you want to change it, Lord, change it. But uh, we want to be, uh, be diligent and, and uh, be hearers of your word, but not just hearers only, but people who practice your word. And I want to be diligent in hearing from you and speaking from you this morning, Lord. So use me, speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this uh, Thursday, well, I, I, I tend to be uh, kind of emotional uh, from time to time. Um, some might say I'm a, of a crier. And uh, if you've been around here for a while, it's no um, rarity to see me uh, shed a tear or two up here on, on the stage. Um, and you can call me a crybaby if you want. Uh, uh, so Ashley does sometimes. Um, I'm just joking. She's nicer than that most of the time. And uh, so this week, uh, I, or I, I was sitting in uh, Elkhorn at a Scooters with one of my pastor friends. Um, he's a pastor in Blair, and we were just kind of sharing pastor talk stuff and, you know, licking our wounds together a little bit. And uh, it, there at the table in Scooters, little round table, um, we started talking about our families, and we started talking about kids and, and our kids and expectations and about time with them and time not with them and the hopes and the dreams that we have for them as, as pastors. And because the, the stereotype and the statistics aren't usually good for, for pastors' kids. And, and, and so we're like, what are we going to do to make that different uh, for, for our kids and, and to give them an experience that is, is normal uh, for most everybody else in, in the world? And uh, right there, I don't, I don't know what it was in the conversation, but all of a sudden, like, my eyes start watering, and I just start, I mean, I start, I start ugly crying there at the table, and, and he's emotional like I am, too, and so it wasn't long that he just started reciprocating, so I'm crying, he's crying, two dudes, and I like to say pretty masculine dudes, at, at, like that, too, two masculine dudes sitting at this little round table who people might have been questioning us anyway, they were sitting at this table, and, and, here, and here we are just bawling like a bunch of babies while everybody else is trying to have coffee. And they're, I'm guessing, they're like, dude, just shut up. And like, get over whatever you're going with. Drink your coffee and get out of here. And, but we were talking about our families. And, and I think one of the things like, that was getting to me was that, like, your kids grow up, right? And, and they grow up faster sometimes than, than what you want. And, and I, I was thinking, boy, my kids are growing up fast. And if you've got kids, you know that happens. Uh, my son turned eight on, on Friday, and, and I look at him, and he's just an awesome kid. And, 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 I, and I wonder, like, what's God going to do with this kid? What is his future going to look like? I don't know. Um, God's got plans for him. And, and uh, I'm trying not to get emotional again. Um, and it wasn't too long ago. I think I shared this story with you all before. Uh, but I was driving down the road with uh, my daughter, Adeline, and she's like, just out of the blue, she's like, hey, Dad, you know, I'm going to be driving in four years. I was like, what? I was like, you're not. You were just born yesterday. That's not possible. But it is. Like, she's going to be driving in four years. I, I think I was just going into this place of, boy, this stuff is, it's happening fast. And I'm like, no, slow down. Don't grow up as fast as you are. But then as a parent, there's another part of me that's like, you know what? We're not raising kids to stay kids. <laughs> We're raising kids to grow up to be adults, to be responsible adults who know how to act when mom and daddy aren't around. They can make good choices when mama and daddy aren't around as well. Like we're raising them to grow up to be uh, adults. And, and so the hopes I think that for Ashley and I in our house that we have for our kids is that they will have experienced the, the, the they have experienced and known the love of an earthly mama and daddy so well 
right? So, and they will have experienced the love of their Heavenly Father and so well so that when they physically grow up and they're beyond the age where they need to be out of the house, like go out and make a living, go do your thing. Like when, when they get to that point and they spread their wings and fly, you know, we bring that imagery in, that they are ready to not just physically be mature to go out and do it, but they are spiritually ready and mature enough to be able to say, I'm going to walk in the love and obedience of the Lord. And that's the hope and the dream that we have. Like, and, and so, I mean, that's the hopeful expectation. That's our hope. We're not raising kids to stay kids. We're raising kids to grow up and to be adults who act like adults. Now, here's the thing. It would be incredibly silly for us. It, it would be almost irresponsible of us for us to expect our kids to stay kids or to stay and act like kids and to hold them back and to keep them from growing up to be adults and act like kids all their lives. Like, so for us, we want our kids to grow up and we want them to grow into maturity. Now, this is the exact same thing that Paul is wanting out of the church in Philippi. He's wanting the church in Philippi to grow up, that they're not babies in the Lord anymore, that he wants them not to just physically grow older, but to be bound together in unity, to grow in, spirit, and, and to grow in spirit, to grow in their faith and knowledge and understanding of the Lord and know how to put this thing into practice. He wants them to grow up into maturity. And so last week we, we launched Philippians and we talked about how um, the book of Philippians uh, starts. And we talked about how the church got planted in Philippi. You've got Paul. <clears throat> he lands in this place called Philippi um, where uh, he has uh, bumped in uh, to this woman named Lydia. Um, uh, he has already had his life completely transformed. He had this miraculous intervention, a gracious intervention with uh, the Lord Jesus. And he complete, completely flips up his completely flips his world upside down and sets his heart on fire for Jesus, where Jesus becomes his treasure, Jesus becomes the things that he wants more than anything else, and then he is burdened with a passion for the, kingdom of, uh, for the kingdom of God and for the world to know about the kingdom of God and the love of Jesus. And so he goes around to the entire world to start sharing about Jesus and talking about the kingdom and talking about the values of the kingdom and the ethics in the kingdom and the ruler and the reign of the king within this kingdom. And so as he lands in Philippi and he goes and he, and he, and he starts bumping into people, he bumps into this woman named Lydia who is, um, she, she's a trader of purple, a seller of purple. She's very wealthy, right? And he bumps into the demon-possessed slave girl. And then he uh, bumps into uh, a Philippian jailer. And in every one of these instances, he shares with them the love and, and the kingdom of Jesus, right? He shares with them Jesus and their world, just as his world was flipped upside down. Their world is flipped upside down, and in an instant, their world goes from, I've been ruled and reigned under the kingdom of this world, and they've been transferred out of this kingdom that's controlled by its values and its system and its ethics, and they've been brought out of that kingdom, and they've been placed into the kingdom of the Son, the kingdom um, that is ruled and reigned by Jesus. And this kingdom over here has new rules and has new value systems and new ethics that aren't driven by a worldly system but are driven and controlled and graciously led out by a loving and gracious king under the King Jesus. And so now you've got Lydia and you've got, um, you've got the uh, Philippian jailer and you've got this demon-possessed girl who have now come into this faithful understanding of who Jesus is. But not only have they come in, but their families, if they have families, have come to Christ as well. And so they have been brought into this family as brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God. But not only them now, the entire region of Philippi is being impacted because now there's a church. 
There's a body of believers that are now growing together in unity with one another. They're being bound together in faith, they're being bound together in purpose, and they're being bound together in the practice of, of their faith. And so when we look at the church in Philippi, what we need to understand was that this is the beginning of the church in Philippi. This wasn't the end of the church. These were um, babes in Christ. They were infants in Christ, and they were just getting started. They were just getting started. And it would be foolish of Paul, and it would be foolish of anybody else to think that this is where the church started, was formulated, and then it stopped. But it would be irresponsible to, to assume that there was no growth that was needed out of the church. They were to grow into maturity as well, because this is where the church was starting. And, and at this point, as Paul is writing this letter now, they're not just babes in Christ anymore. They are, they've been established. They've been growing now for, for 10 years and we've got to remember it now, Paul, he's in prison. He's locked up in Rome. He has no idea when he's getting out of prison. He's waiting for his trial to come around. He's waiting for the fact that I don't know when I'm going to be able to stand before somebody and make my case that I'm an innocent man, that I'm okay. And he's waiting to be set free. He doesn't know when that's going to happen. And so as what typically happens when you're sitting around and you've got nothing else to do, you're just waiting, you start to reflect. You start to think. You start to think about what's next. You start to think about where you've been. You start to think about your life. And so as he's in prison, he's thinking about the churches that he's helped. He's thinking about the people that he's brushed up against and he's spent time with and the people that he's invested his life in. He's thinking about the people that he just loves so deeply and he has so much compassion for. And he starts writing letters. And he starts writing letters to these churches that are all around that he's, um, that he's been part of, uh, of starting and, and planting. And the Philippians are one of those who get a letter from him. And as he writes this letter, like, you can hear the, the love that he has for them just dripping out of his pen, right? He, this is the, the heart of a daddy who's watching his children grow up. Like, I've got hopes, I've got dreams, I've got expectations for you. And as he writes, it's like, this is happening. You guys are flourishing. I, I'm so excited about what you're doing. And look at verse 3, what he says in chapter 1. He says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. In other words, every time I sit here in my jail cell, Sur surrounded by a culture that's out there that I can't go into, surrounded by people that are being satisfied by things all around them. When I sit here in my jail cell and I think about you, I am so thankful to God for you. So Paul's sitting here and he's thinking about the people that are back in the church in Philippi. Now think about this. Rome is 4,608 miles away from Philippi. That's a, a long ways away. So as the crow flies, right? So, so a straight line distance, and that's a long way for a crow to fly, 4,608 uh, miles away. That's how far he is. So he's in jail. He's nowhere even close in proximity to the people that he's writing to. And, and, and he's saying, like, I am so thankful for you. His heart is full of joy. There are some commentators who have said that Paul is the happiest guy in Rome. But, but how can Paul be the happiest guy in Rome when he's sitting in jail? How can he be the happiest guy in Rome when he has no idea when to, to get freedom again? What, what makes him so full of, of joy? Well, let's just take a minute to, to speculate here for a second, okay? Obviously, he's remembering the time that he, he spent with them. You know, so, so maybe he's thinking about Lydia. Now, Lydia, he, he met her on the side of the riverbank. And she was uh, together in like a, a little prayer study. And, and he 
her, and uh, he tells her about Jesus, and her life's flipped upside down, and um, she opens up her house to, uh, to the church, and um, not only is she saved, but the whole, her whole family is saved as well. And so maybe he's thinking about Lydia. Maybe he's thinking about, man, do you remember that, cra- that crazy demon-possessed slave girl? Everywhere we went, she was just screaming, and she was yelling. He's thinking back about that, but then how God miraculously intervened on her life, and she heard about Jesus, and a demon was cast out of her, and like, this was this amazing thing that happens, and he just, and just marvels that God has power to do that sort of thing. Maybe he's thinking about this demon-possessed girl. Maybe he's thinking about the time that, that he was sat in the Philippian jail, that he was he was, he, he was, he was uh, captured there in the city market. And he was beat, and he was bruised, and he was embarrassed in front of all the rulers, and he was embarrassed, embarrassed in front of all the people who, who were in the city as well. And then they were, he was taken, and they were put in stocks. And he's thinking about, man, like the, the pain that I was going through, but the pain was worth it because there was a man who was there who was, who was, uh, uh, who was over, the, over the jail, this Philippian jailer. And he hears the gospel of Jesus and his life is turned upside down. Not only him, but his whole family is, is transformed as well. And they stopped walking in the kingdom of darkness and started walking in the kingdom of light. Maybe these are the things that Paul is thinking about. But I don't think we have to speculate because that's exactly what Paul is thinking about. Because he's thinking about the people that make up the church in Philippi. He started the church there. They were babies in Christ. And now he says, they're partakers with me of grace in my family and the family of God, but they're not babies anymore. It's been 10 years, and so they've begun to grow. Now you think about the lifespan of a church, right? 10 years is a young church. Like we're, we're in the 14, 15 range. Like we are not far from the church that Paul is talking to here. Like this is us. This is us growing up, growing to maturity. And so as we listen to Paul talk to the Philippians, we say, yes, talk to me. Tell me how to mature. Tell me how to grow up into maturity as well. Ten years. And he's not weeping over a table at Scooters about them growing up. Like he's excited. He's filled with joy about them. He's over the moon excited about them growing into maturity. So much so that his affections are stirred up in him. His emotions are running over in this letter as, as he writes. Listen how he starts in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> in, in typical uh, first century letter style, and in Paul's typical style as he writes uh, all of his letters, um, there's a few differences, but the, the way that it's structured is the same. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot that's packed into these two verses. Uh, usually, we, we jump into a letter and read it like, okay, he's just saying hello to everybody. But there's so much packed in here. He's saying this is to the saints in Philippi. That means that this is to the church. This is uh, those who've come to know Jesus. It's uh, those who uh, started out, right? The, the first three, you've got Lydia, you've got the demon-possessed girl, you've got the Philippian jailer. They're, they've started the church, but it didn't stop with them. They grew and the church grew, and now it's expanded so much so that Paul says that they have spiritual overseers, that there are overseers and deacons. The church has matured so much that there's spiritual leadership that's in place now. There's elders and there's deacons that are there in place to help the church grow and, and, and push them towards growth and to help shepherd the flock that is now the church in, in Philippi. Now, the question that we ask is, why is Paul so full of joy, right? Well, here's why in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy— and here's the reason, verse 5, 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, you started with me and you're still going with me. You've started with me and you never went back. The thing that's bringing Paul so much joy is, is, is that as he thinks about the church in Philippi, he's sitting there in his prison cell or in, in the home house church or the house prison that he's in. The thing that makes him smile, it, it, it's not the, uh, the things that's on the outside of the prison. Like the Roman culture was, was famous for everything at your disposal that you want, it's there. The theater's there. The civic arts are there. Creativity is, is there. Competition and games are there. Sexual um, opportunities to, to delve into any desire that you want, it's there and it's prevalent in the Roman culture. So everything that a society would say, we need all of this to be satisfied and happy and to have joy in our life. Paul doesn't have access to any of that stuff, but yet his heart is so full of joy. And the reason why his heart is so full of joy is because the people that he has invested his life in, the people that he's invested the gospel in all of his time in, he's looking at them and saying, they didn't stop where they started. They've continued to grow into maturity. This is what they're doing. They're growing. They aren't babies anymore. They, they said, Lord, you've saved me. I'm going to grow now. These are men and women who have said, you know what? Saved I am, and so grow I will. Saved I am, and so grow I will. Have you ever stopped in just in your life to say something like that, to press into the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, you've done a miraculous work in my life. I had nothing to do with that. I was going my own way. You intervened. You turned my world upside down. And because you've stepped into my life, because you've saved me, I I'm now, I'm going to begin to grow. You saved me, saved I am, and so grow I will. If there's something in me that needs to be chiseled out, Lord, I'm available for you to take that thing out of me. If there's an attitude that I have and a disposition that I have that needs to be changed, Lord, mold me to the image that you've created me to be and chip that out of me. If there's something in me that you want to add, if there's joy that you want to add, if there's contentment that you want to add, if there's graciousness that you want, I am available for you to do that. You have saved me, so saved I am, and so grow I will. We're not talking about salvation here because he's already done that work and you have no part of that. We say, yes, he does all the work. We're talking about growing into maturity. Grow, I will. In his body, the Philippians have said, we are in. I'm going to grow. See, Paul's the happiest guy in Rome, but yet he's in prison. His surroundings aren't the things that are making him happy. It's the people that he's invested his life in who didn't stop. He said, we're going to keep going. I got a, a call from... Uh, my uh, old pastor in, in New York, who was my boss um, when we were there. And, and, and the reason, well, he's called, like, it was kind of out of the blue. I didn't expect it at all. And, and he said, Anthony, I, I just want you to know um, that the work that you started and this kid named Josh. So this, uh, there was a guy that I just loved so deeply while I was there, had a, a, a wild and crazy background, drugs, jail, prison, like he, he'd been there. And his record was crazy. And, uh, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour my life into you. And so while I was there, for, we had, I had about a year with him and, and got to just kind of pour in and pour in and pour in. But then I had to leave. You know, one of the hardest things about leaving a place is that the, the relationships that you have and the, the things that you've invested in, you wonder, is, is, is it going to be the same? Is it going to change? Like, what's going to happen? And, and so I, I left. And we've had contact over the phone. And you, you can do so much over the phone. But he called and he said, I just want you to know that the work that started here, it's still going. Like, he is still growing. 
It's so much so that he wants to take seminary classes, and, and he wants to go to seminary, and he, wants to, he doesn't want to be a pastor, but he wants to take the things um, that he learns and to apply it to helping other people get out of the situations that they're in and apply the Scripture. And you want to talk about joy to your heart. You want to talk about a salve to your soul, to know that the work that you've invested in somebody continues to go. I mean, that gives you joy like none other. It's not joy that fades. This is joy that, like, what you've done is now being invested in the other people as well. And, and so this is the guy who said, saved I am, and now grow I will. And, and I, I, wanna, I want you to think, there's probably somebody who's invested in your life. There's probably somebody who, who spent a significant amount of time in your life because you didn't get to where you are right now by yourself, right? And so somebody has invested in you. So I want you to think about the person who's been investing in you. If they were to get a letter back about you, would, would the thing that they hear about your life, would it be something that fills them up with joy like Paul has in his life right now? Would they be saying, man, man, I'm so I'm in my prayer. I thank God for you that you are going, like, not that they're perfect, not that they get everything right, but they are moving towards a growing relationship with Jesus. Would, would the message they get back be one of, man, I'm so excited about this guy. It fills my heart with joy to know that he or she is growing like this. Look at verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Now, the, the day of Christ here is uh, similar to uh, the day of the Lord in Scripture. Um, and this is pointing to the day that, that Scripture tells us that Jesus is, is going to come back. Right? He's going to come back to, uh, to get his church. He said that he was going to leave, and he promised that he wasn't going to leave us as orphans, that he was going to come back, and he's going to take the church to be with the Father where, where he is. It's what we celebrated at Advent, right? Advent was a time where we celebrated the fact that Jesus came once, but we know and we are anxiously waiting for the day that he's going to come back again. This is the day of the Lord. This is the day of Christ, that the, the church is hopeful and waiting that he is actually coming back, that we're not working towards nothing, right? That he's given us life, and he's going to take us to be where he is. But Paul, like he is so ingrained in this idea of the day of the Lord that it was so imminent to him. Like he expected that Jesus was coming back at any moment, at any instant, at any time of the day that he was coming back. And so because of that, he expected that the church was, was going to be living in such a way that they trusted Jesus and they were going to be um, growing as well. Um, that they would live in light of the fact that Jesus is going to come back, not live like he's never coming back again. And so what Paul is saying here is that on the day that you trusted Jesus, on, on, going all the way back to the formation of the church in, in Philippi, on the day that you trusted Jesus, Jesus did a miraculous work inside of you. And, and in that miraculous work, he, he's given you um, a, a picture of what's to come. You are com fully complete, lacking nothing in him. But the outtake of that is going to fully find its fruition on the day of Jesus. And, and so what I want to do is I'll give just a quick illustration of, of what this actually looks like, right? Y'all remember Polaroid cameras? Y'all remember those? Um, if, you, if you're too uh, young to remember the originals, they've come out with them again. And the Polaroid, that's, like, that's the camera that you, you snap the picture and then it's like, and it comes out and then you, and you grab it and you're like, well, there's nothing on there. It's black on, on the screen. And, and then like, you grab it and you start shaking it, right? Now, I don't think we ever really had to shake it, but we shake it anyway because we think it makes it go faster. Um, and, and so like, you snap a Polaroid picture and when you snap the picture, like it comes out, you have a picture in your hand. Like, the picture is there, and so you have a picture, but you have to wait. It's just the, the beginning because it's not done yet. You, you start shaking it out, and in just a few moments, 
that picture is going to be fully there on, on, on the paper that you're holding in your hands. Paul says that I am confident of this, that I am sure of this, that Jesus started a work in you, that he saved you, that you are complete and you are lacking nothing in him right now. You're a complete picture in the hand, but yet at the same time of being a complete picture, that he's not done with you yet. He's shaking you out, right? You're in a waiting period. In, 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 in just a few moments, that he's going to return. And the picture that we're going to have is going to be complete because now we're going to see him as he truly is. We're going to see him in all of his glory. And we're going to see him for, for who he's, for he, in all, all of his glory. It's going to be a, a perfected picture. John says it like this in 1 John chapter 3. Go ahead and throw it up there. He said, beloved, we are God's children right now. Like, we are his we are fully his. We are a picture in hand, right? He has done that work. And what we will be, though, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's this already a not yet thing going on right now that we are already who he's made us to be, but yet we're waiting to the fullness of it when we step into glory and we see, we're able to see him face to face. And what Scripture calls this, or, or, or the theological term for this, it's called sanctification. Anybody heard the word sanctification? Right? You hear it sometimes, like, well, what does that actually mean? Um, sanctification is us growing. It, it's, it's Christian growth. That we've been saved. We've been justified, right? Justified is when Jesus comes in, he does all the work. He makes us holy before God on Jesus' account. Like, we don't earn it. We don't, we don't merit anything. This is fully on the basis of Jesus. We are justified and made righteous because of the work that he has done on the cross. And so when we trust him, we become his, completely covered by his righteousness. That means we are justified in him. But beyond our salvation, there's this expectation that we grow up into maturity that's called uh, the, the sanctification idea. And it's a progressive thing. And this is Christian growth. And this sanctification is uh, a, work in uh, a work in progress, that we are a project that's not yet done. Like anybody in the room ever feel like a work in progress? Like be patient with me because I'm a work in progress. Uh, I'm, I'm a little frightened of the fact that only one hand went up uh, in the room. Um, right now because I'm assuming that not everybody in here thinks that you're perfected right now in, in and of your person. Like, hey, look at me. Here I am. And uh, get to know me. Um, we are a work in progress. Construction cones around us. Like, be careful. Falling rocks. Like, I could explode in any minute. You say the wrong thing on the wrong day. Like, it could be dangerous for you. Like, I am a work in progress. Be patient with me. I'm not yet who I will be. But right now, I am perfect, complete, lacking in nothing in my spirit. But Jesus is working things in me and out of me in this progressive sanctification process where I'm becoming like who he's already made me to be. He is shaking me out. He is letting me see who he's made me to See, we're not intended to stay um, babies in Christ. We're not intended to stay infants in Christ. We're intended to grow. And the work didn't stop when Jesus planted you into his family. That was just the beginning. Saved I am, and so grow I will. Look at verse 6 again. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And isn't it good to know that God's not done with you? Isn't it good to know as you look at your spouse, like, God's not done with you. And, and to let them know, God's not done with me. To look at your friends and the, the, let, let them in on, on the truth, like, God's not done with me. Don't give up on me. God's not done with me. Paul says, the work that God has started in you, he will bring to completion. We are a work in 
progress. Verse, verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you in all the affection of Christ Jesus. If you have the old school KJV, it says, uh, I, I yearn for you in the, uh, uh, the bowels of Christ Jesus. Like, I mean, that's some yearning, right? Like getting down deep. So like, I'm yearning for you with the bowels of Jesus Christ. These are his friends that he's yearning for his partners in ministry, his partakers of grace, they're growing and he is full of joy uh, for them. This is the daddy. This is the mama who's watching their kids grow up and they are living under the values that you set and they're going out into the world and they are flourishing. And Paul couldn't be happier about this. But now watch this. He's a happy man full of joy and he's thanked God for them. He's expressed his joy for them that they're growing, but he prays that they won't stop that they're going to keep going, right? That they're not going to live on yesterday's growth, but they're going to continue to grow even today. They're going to not live on yesterday's growth, but have new growth for today. He says, uh, continue to grow and develop in love that's informed by the Word of God and that causes even more growth. How many of y'all, like, actually raise your hand this time, okay? Like, play along with the game here. How, how many of you um, like to ride a bike in here? Okay, all right, half of us. Um, how many of you are, like, are extreme? bikers, like mountain bike, like I'm on it, and that's where I get my exercise. Okay, one, three, okay. Uh, how many of y'all like road bike? I mean, I'm just casual. I like to go out, and like if, if the terrain is flat, like I'm good. How, how many? Yeah, that's me right there, because like I, I'm good if I go out, and I just ride on flat terrain. I'm like, man, me and the road, like we've got this thing, um, but when the hills come up, like I hate it. I hate riding up on hills, because you know why? Hills are hard. Yeah, Hills are hard. And every time I try to go up a hill, like I'll eventually get there, but it's embarrassing when you have to get off the bike and, and, and walk up there. Don't laugh, you've been there, right? And, and, and so like sometimes you have to get off, but I feel like sometimes my heart is about to burst or my lungs are about to burst as I'm going up the hill. But here's the thing about a hill. Once you get to the top of the hill, what do you get to do? You get to coast. You get to coast back down the other side. All the work that's done on the front side of the hill has its payoff on the back side of the hill, right? You get to coast down the hill. That's the best part of riding your bike. But eventually, what happens is that downhill coast is going to come to an end. That momentum that you have going down the hill, it's going to come to an end before you make it to the next hill that, that's coming up. And the coasting that you've been riding down the hill with, you're going to have to start pedaling again if you want to make it up the hill on the other side. Coasting won't last forever. And, and so if we put this in our context here, yesterday's pedaling doesn't work for today, okay? Yesterday's pedaling, it doesn't work for today. And I want to remember that we're couching this conversation in the context that these are believers in Christ. So they're not working for their salvation. They're not earning their salvation. This was something that was freely given to them. What Paul is talking about is I want you to grow up into who God has already made you to be. Grow into maturity. And as you grow into maturity, coasting won't help you grow. Just like yesterday's pedaling won't move the bike today, coasting on growth that we've experienced in the past is just not going to work. Some of us, now we've got these fantastic experiences from when we were a kid, like, man, mom and daddy used to take me to church, and I had a good time, and, and I was growing, I was reading my Bible, and we did family devotions, and then at some point, like, that stopped, and we're still living on that time when we were a kid, and like, that's what we're coasting forward with. Some of us, like, we had this fantastic experience when we were at camp with, with our friends, and we're like, man, when we go to camp, it's going to be amazing, because I remember when, like, we were there, and there was this one speaker, and man, my heart was lit on fire, and I just, man, I was weeping, and I was crying, and then I went back the next year, it was kind of like that, and I went back the next year, and so every time I'm in this season of camp, like, I am fully alive on God. 
But then when we walk away from camp, we try to coast in and, and wait till the next season of camp comes around. Or, or we've had a fantastic season with our friends and we've had this uh, moment where we've just experienced so much growth with our friends. And maybe it was camp, uh, like when you're on campus life or maybe it was um, when you were a, a certain work environment and you had brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, man, I, I just really grew in this season of my life. And then you stepped away from that and now like you're coasting out of that season into another season and, and, there, and there's never been any more peddling. There's never been any more connection with Jesus and we're living off of yesterday's peddling and we're coasting and wondering why it is that we're not growing. Wondering why it is that we're not feeling like we're growing and maturing in Christ because we're living in this experience that we used to have and it's not a daily growing in the Lord. Paul is reminding us that we can't coast in to growth. We just, we just can't do it. Um, the Old Testament uh, gives us a fantastic example of this. Uh, Jesus, or not Jesus, he didn't show up in, like this in the Old Testament. He does show up, but... Um, in, in the Old Testament, Israel, they're, they're wandering through the desert, right? And uh, they're starting to complain about the food. Like, where's all the food? And we were still doing it. Like, we back in, Is or back in Egypt, we had all this food. We didn't have to go out and do anything for it. And so God says, okay, I'll, I'll appease you, and I'm going to give you food. Right? And so he says, I'm going to give you daily bread. I'm going to give you manna from heaven. All you're going to have to do in the morning, you're just going to have to step out your door. That's, that's it. You step out your door, you reach down, and you grab the manna. And fantastic, there you are, you eat. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to provide for you food for every single day that you are out here in the wilderness. You just go out and get it. You don't need to store up more food than you need for the day because it's not going to be good for tomorrow. You put it in a jar and you, and you try to save it for the next day. It's not going to work. It's going to rot in the jar. And people are like, good, good we got it. And, but after a while, they, they started coasting from one day to the next, trying to coast to the next. And so they would go out and try to grab enough food. Uh, when We don't want to go outside the front door again tomorrow to just reach out and grab food. And so they gathered up more than what they needed. And, and so they would go to get that food the next day. And what happened? It was rotted in there. The food that God was providing for them was food for that day. It wasn't food for the next day. It was what they needed right then. You don't coast in to growth. They needed daily manna. We need daily bread and a daily connection with the Lord. And so Paul's encouragement here is that they would have an informed life, a daily time with the Word of God, not yesterday's growth. And the word daily is not in here, but the idea is that they are pressing into Jesus, and, and that works best when we are connected to Him. Now, um, listen to how Paul talks about this growth. He prays for them. He's already said, he's like, I thank my God for you. You are rocking it. You are filling my heart with joy, but I don't want you to stop. I want you to keep going. Verse nine, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God you know what Paul's praying for? He's praying for maturity, right? He's praying for growth. He, he's praying that they wouldn't coast. He's saying, saved I am, and so now grow I will. Verse 9, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, the church in Philippi, they've already been known for the love. They're not lacking in the love department, right? Paul is, uh, they're, they're confirmed in other places of their love that they've been displaying, but Paul is so emphatic that they would be known more and more by their love that he says, I want you to grow in love more and more. But this love that he's talking about, it's not like Hollywood emphatic kind of love. It's not the kind of love that's like ushy, gushy, mushy, um, like you take your clothes off and I'm thrilled with that and I take mine off. And like, it's not kind of stuff that he's talking about here. 
It's not, it, that's not what's going down. It's not hearts and rainbows. The love that he's talking about is within the context of community. It's in the context of unity within the body. It's a love that is informed by the word of God. And the word of God with the principles uh, and, the key, and the values within this kingdom. So that we can discern and have a knowledgeable love is what he's talking about here. That's able to look into hard situations. Hard situations that, that might seem unfavorable. Like when, when she doesn't want to talk to him and he doesn't want to talk to her and you're at work and Jim is mad and, and, and he's talking about Sheila because Sheila didn't do her job and now you're mad at Sheila and, and nobody's getting along and there's tension in the workplace and, and uh, your, your, your kid stole your money out of your purse and, and, and they went and they, they bought drugs with it and then you, you come back and like, where'd my money go? I didn't do anything with your money and, and there's tension now in the house. You're like, what on earth is going on here? And you're like, you don't want to talk to him and they, nobody wants to talk to each other and, and love is not abounding in that space. It's hard to walk around in that space and, and when, this, when, when, when this becomes so hard, the issues begin to rise and begin to pop up. And so Paul's reminded, like, when this stuff is going down, I don't want you to fall back into this old kingdom lifestyle. I want you to continue to love. See, Paul, we talked last week that there are a few issues, like, like, this is a glowing church, but there were a few issues that were going on. Unity was one. They, were, they, they weren't very united at times because humility was lacking in some, in some of them. And, and so when those issues are, are going down, with, with people like, they, like you just aren't seeing eye to eye with, it's very difficult to love. And it's very difficult to have unity with those folks. Like you'll see them in the grocery store and you'll be walking down the aisle and, and you see them at the end, you're like, whoop! Like I don't want them to see me because I know the conversation is going to be weird or even just being at a distance and, and they see you see me like, it just feels weird. And so Paul's like, I don't want that kind of stuff happening. See, love is the last thing on your mind in those moments. And so coasting on yesterday's uh, growth, it's not going to push you into love in these hard situations. Coasting on yesterday's growth is not going to move you into love in hard circumstances. You need the power of God through the word of God to discern with knowledge how to love people that are sometimes not easy to love. And apart from the knowledge of God that comes from his word, we just don't know how to love Apart from the knowledge that comes from the word of God, we don't know how to love people in a way that's going to, to, that's going to honor God, but that's going to bless other people around us as well. And so what we do is we open up God's word and we ask, God, what does your word say about this relationship? God, what does your word say about how I can love and treat my spouse? God, what does your word say about how I'm supposed to love my enemies? God, how does your word bring me knowledge and help me discern on how do I love the nations around me? How do I love my friends? How do I love my coworkers? God, what does your word say on how do I love in these circumstances? How do I love more and more? Show me how. Saved I am. And so grow I will. And I'm going to grow through knowledge and understanding and discernment through the word of God. And so the question is, am I loving well? Am I loving well? Am I letting my love for other people be informed by the word Or am I letting my love for other people be informed by how I used to love? Or maybe the question for us is, and maybe even uh, a little more pertinent to um, the image, is am I just coasting, right? Am I just coasting in life? We're not going to coast into growth. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. Verse 10. This is why it's so important. So that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ 
to the glory and praise of God. And so as we sit with an open Bible in our hand, we're asking God to show us, how do I love well? And when we're asking how do we love it, he shows us what, how to approve what's excellent. And, and, and I like how the NIV says it here a little bit better than, than the ESV translation. The, the NIV says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So you can choose what's best. Like you can choose what's the next best step. See, we've, we've got choices all around us, right? Our, our life is full of choices that we've got to discern on. And, and it's usually not these big, like, ocean between kind of decisions. Like, this is clearly right and this is clearly evil, and so we're trying to decide which one we're going to land on. That's not usually what it is, right? Like, if I make this decision, I'm going to grow my portfolio through the roof or I'm going to grow my character through the roof. And if I don't make this decision, then I'm gonna, it's going to end up being this and my portfolio is going to fall apart and my character is going to fall apart. But those aren't usually the things that we're talking about. It's usually these daily decisions. It's, it's good things that we're trying to decide be, between. And so we need help on, on what the best choice is. Uh, a choice that pushes us in and keeps us focused on, on, on Christ and living in light of eternity. Living like Jesus is going to come back. This day of Christ that he says in verse 10 here. And what Paul's going for is that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Notice that he doesn't say that uh, uh, the fruit of righteousness that comes through my effort, that comes through my doing, that comes through my work. This is the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. I'm going to throw a verse up here from, from John uh, chapter 15, and this is probably familiar with, with most of you. I'm going to step out of Philippians here real quick, but I, I think this is the heart of what Paul is getting after. That a, that a real connection with Jesus is the only way that we're going to grow into the maturity that is, that is um, what he's going to say later in the book is, is worthy of the calling for which we've been called to. And John, uh, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he's on his way to, to, to die very, very shortly. He's spending some last minutes with his disciples, and he's walking down the road, and, and he's using the, the road as an illustration. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And what John was saying is, is the, the growth in our life, it, it's going to, or what Jesus was saying, is the growth in our life, it's going to be sourced out of a connection with, with him. Like we can't do anything when we're disconnected from the vine. Like, we, like when we're coasting and disconnected from him, it may look like there's fruit. It may look like, you know, there, there's something going on. But we're walking forward with what God has done in the past. And he's saying, no, I've got something new for you. I've got bread for you for the day. I've got a connection for you for today. And so there's the necessity to, to be connected to the vine, to, to be growing in him. And the question for us is, man, are we going to allow the word to inform us? Are we going to stay connected to the vine for our growth? Which means that if we're going to be connected to the vine, if we're going to be connected to Jesus, we've got to be connected to his word that informs how we live. And so what we're going to do as a church is we're going to try to do everything that we can to push us into growth this year, right? That's always the goal. But we're going to try to do everything that we can to move us uh, along where we're not just coasting in our lives. I mean, it's easy for us to show up on, on a Sunday morning, right? It's relatively easy if we're honest. Like we live in a culture and a context where, I mean, we can get up, we can get in our car, we can show up here. Nobody's standing outside with, with a gun. Nobody's standing there saying you can't worship the way that you want to worship. Um, there are scenarios where it's becoming a, a little bit more increasingly unsafe. But, there, but like it, we live in relative ease when it comes to connecting with, with a body of believers. And, and so we, we, could, we could settle for this and say, this is my Christian growth. This is me growing. And this is good, but this is a part of that. 
Another part is us cracking our Bibles open and reading and allowing this connection to drive us closer in a relationship with him. And so we're going to do everything that we can to move us along in growth. And so with that, I've got two challenges for us this morning, okay? And, and they're personal challenges, one for our gathering space here on Sundays and one for you as you walk out of these doors because this isn't our only growing spot. This is a place in our Christian growth, but this isn't the only place that we grow. And, and so this first challenge that I'm going to give, it's going to sound so antiquated to you. You're going to be like, oh, you're just, uh, and, and, I, and, and understand that I know that, okay? I know that this is going to sound antiquated to you, but listen to it anyway, and I hope you hear the value in it. When we gather together in this space, <laughs> Bring a Bible with you. Now, doesn't it seem weird to, to have an antiquated statement like when you're good church, like there, there should be an expectation that you are coming with the word of God. But, and here's the thing, so that when we are going through his word, that you have the ability to say like, no, that's not what, he, that's not what scripture says. Or yeah, like I'm affirming what that has. Like uh, scripture talks about being a Berean, right? To be somebody who looks at the word of God, who's able to discern the word of God and to question the word of God and to see if it's true, to see if it's right, what people are saying is right. I could say anything up here and if, there, if nobody has a Bible open to be able to see what I'm saying, they were like, ah, uh, okay, I'll just take it for face value. And so we're gonna challenge you to bring a Bible with you. Now here, here's, uh, as if that's not antiquated enough, here, here's the part where you're gonna be like, ah, come on, dude. Um, I, I know the Bible's on our phones. <laughs> I know we've got uh, Bible apps and they're super easy and convenient for us, but here's what happens, okay? Here's what happens. I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in your life that we put a Bible app on our phone and if that's the only thing that we were ever reading, we were so distracted away from it because what happens is we are reading and then a notification comes. Okay, great. I'll remember. I got that checked. Okay, then a text comes in like, oh man, I need to make sure I get back to them if I don't get back to them right now. And, and then an email comes in and like, okay, okay. And then by the time that all these things are interrupting and, and, and taking our focus away, we forgot what we were doing. Or if we ever get back to it, like we've missed some significant time with the Lord. And so this is the antiquated part. I'm going to ask you when you come to bring a physical Bible. Like I, you can push against that, right? Like you, you, if, if the only thing you want to bring is an is a, is electronic, but that's fine, Right? But I want us to be in God's word together when we gather in this space. And here, here's the second part. When you leave, I want to ask you that when you're at home that you open up the Bible, right? This month, while we're going through the book of Philippians, I'm going to ask you that you read through Philippians. That whether, if you've never read the Bible before, I'm going to ask that you start in the book of Philippians and read along with us as we go through this series. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, um, to, to have three things that you're working through as you open up the Bible. It's actually going to be four, but the first one is reading. So um, the assumption is that you're going to read. And so as you crack open God's word and, 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 you're, and you're sitting in front of it and you begin to read, here's what I'd ask. As you're reading, ask the text or ask God, what do I see here? What's in the text? Like I'm reading and there's something for you that's in that word for today. It's your daily bread. He's got something for you. And so the second thing that you asked of the text is how can I apply this text in my life? Lord, what do I see that I've read and now how do I apply? There's something in that text that you can apply to your life that moment. And so the third thing that I would say is then pray, right? What do I see in this text? How am I going to apply this? And now, Lord, help me to apply this. There's something that he's giving to you in that space. I want to see us be brothers and sisters bound together in unity, in knowledge and understanding of God's word. So that when we're gathered together, we say, saved I am, and so grow, I will. 
that we're not people who are coasting on yesterday, but every day we are pressing more and more into Jesus, and we can't press into him without his word. Father, thank you so much um, for the time that we've had this morning. Thank you, Lord, that um, your word doesn't return void. Whatever I've said up here, God, it, it's, I mean, it's, it is what it is. I'm, I'm just speaking what I, I think you've delivered to me, but my words are fallible. Yours, your words aren't. And so you stick whatever you want to stick. By your spirit, do the work in us, Father. We, we want to be people who are growing in our faith and knowledge of you. But yet, it's so easy to be um, distracted away from your word because we get busy and there's things that we do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just instill inside of us right now in this room that we wouldn't be coasters, that we wouldn't try to coast into growth because that's never going to happen, but we would be people who who open up your word, who live under your values, who live under your system, who call ourselves believers, who are growing, who have said, God, you've done an amazing work in me, so I just want to grow. I want to know you more. I want to I be in this life, and I'm not earning my salvation, but I'm, I'm growing into who you've already made me to be. Lord, shake out the picture for us. Shake us into growth. Move us to the place that you want us to be. I mean, we're waiting for the day that you come back where we see you face to face but we want to be busy working for you, for your kingdom, for, for others to know so that not only will people be, find joy in us because they see growth in us, because we get to enter into a place where we, our hearts are filled with joy because we have invested in somebody else and they're growing in the faith and knowledge of Jesus too. And so, Father, that's not going to happen. You know that if we're not connecting to you and through your word to grow us this year. Grow us today. Grow us this week. I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.